The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another program here on the Shepherd Radio Network, heard every day at this time uh, in Orlando, in Ocala, and in the villages, and then our good friends. I just love Gainesville, having spent as much time there as I did. Welcome to the program today, my guest in the studio. He actually lives in the Jacksonville area, Ponte Vedra, I believe is where, if That's I said right. that right. That's right. Uh, my guest today is Kenneth Overman. He is an author. He is a, uh, a biographer, and that is something that I, I don't think I've ever... I've interviewed lots of authors, but not so much one that would have really had the specialty that I think you have, Kenneth. You like biographies. I do. I do. Uh, I like biographies. Uh, in, in fact, uh, the biography genre is uh, something that's that's become uh, more and more popular in recent years. And uh, about 12 years ago, I just happened to come across a good friend who helped me to get into the business. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I love uh, doing, in fact, what you do, and that is uh, sitting down and just listening to someone tell me their life story and, and what brought them to the place they're at uh, uh, today. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. You know, a lot of people, I've heard this for years, most people never really learn that art of listening. They're better at talking than they are listening. And I, I found, when I started doing a talk show, I found that temptation to jump ahead in your own mind. You know how that is when you are thinking about what it is that you're going to ask next and you suddenly are in that awkward moment where you just realize you don't have a clue what your guest just said. (laughs) That art (laughs) of listening is something important, right? No, it is an art, that's for sure. And and up until I began uh, to write biographies, uh, I I thought I was a good listener. But the woman uh, who helped me, who who mentored me into the business... uh, a woman named Susan Brandenburg, who worked for the Florida Times Union newspaper for years and years, and who became a biographer herself, uh, happened to look at me across the table uh, one evening at a dinner party, and she told me what she did, and I realized right then that I wanted to do what she did, and that is write the stories of people's lives. So we met for lunch about fantastic. two weeks later, and uh, and she said, Ken, the first thing that you're going to have to know is that your client's don't give a rip about your life. They don't want to hear about you. What they want is for me to listen and to write their story, and that's it. And it took me a while, actually about two clients, until I really understood that uh, I just had to keep my mouth shut and just ask the questions and listen. So you're quite right. It uh, It's an art. You know, I heard a statistic from one of these guys that would be a motivational speaker who's written a lot of books, like the Covey uh, kind of a book and a speaker. And it might have even been Stephen Covey that said this now that I think about it. But hmm. he said that people, uh, they spend 80% of their life thinking about and studying what they only do 20% of their life, and that is speak. And and what they spend less than 20% of their life on is what they're doing the other 80%, and that is listening. And that was the statistic that he said back then. And I'm thinking, you know, most people 
really do pay very little attention to the, the importance of just being attentive. And I think as a believer, if that, if that statistic holds true in our life with God, we're missing a whole lot that God's saying because we're not thinking, we're not in tune to what he's saying. Well, I think you're absolutely right, uh, Mike. And, and uh, as I said, as, as time goes on and I, I, I get greater and greater pleasure out of listening to other people's uh, thoughts and comments mm-hmm. and, and less of my own. And, and I like to think this is part of the, uh, part of my maturing in, in Christ. Uh, and I've been at it for about 45 years now, but, um, but, you know, listening to people's hearts, their perspectives, and, and it just enriches, uh, my own life and the process. Hmm. I, I can see it. You're from California. How in the world did you get to Florida? Uh, the short answer is by way of, uh, living in Europe for about 15 years and then living up in the, uh, mid Atlantic area. And then down to here, uh, I was, raised on a surfboard uh, in Southern California in Long Beach. And, and I, uh, I took up sailing um, and I became a, a racer in the sailing boats. And, and I built a little boat of myself of my own. And I sailed to Catalina Island uh, several times. You built a sailboat? Yeah. Yeah. When I was in the 11th or 12th grade. What did yeah. you, how did you do that? Um, I, I just uh, loved sailing. My mother uh, introduced me to a neighbor who was a, a very good racing sailor, and uh, he taught me how to sail. And I just decided I wanted my own boat, so uh, I designed and and uh, and built um, a, a star class sloop in the backyard of our house in Naples, Long Beach. And I sailed that thing all up and down uh, the, <laughs> the coast until I went in the army at the age of of eighteen. What kind of mast did you use on that? Uh, mast. It was uh, uh, just a, a long. Uh, kind of a birchwood uh, uh-huh. affair. And it was uh, in the classic design of a star class loop, which has a real, it's called a high aspect ratio, which means the mast is very tall and the boom is rather long and it's got a large sail area and it's got a jib. And so it was uh, kind of an overpowered boat with a keel. And uh, all I had was a compass. <laughs> I was going to uh, tell you yeah. about an entertainment center that I built one time, but I think I'll pause now and not do that. <laughs> Built a boat and you actually sailed it all over the place. Yeah, up and down the coast uh, around Long Beach and Newport Beach and uh, wow. Catalina Island and yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of stories uh, mm-hmm. around that boat. But um, and I the army came knocking. Uh, Vietnam War was going strong and they said, uh, Ken, you need to report for a physical, which meant I'm going to be drafted in the army. So I sold the boat, sold my jeep, and uh, and went in the army and I. I mean, the army was not really my cup of tea, so. This had to be early 70s then, right? Uh, 66. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went in at 66 and got out at 69. You you are then, you look very young. Well, too young to be doing that. But uh, that that is amazing. <laughs> Mike, you've made my day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. It's crazy. I, I yeah. thought, okay, so I graduated high school in 71. Okay, very good. Yeah. So you're only about six years behind me, right? Well, that's right. But yeah, I, I, I look like I'm six years ahead of you, though. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, <now. laughs> that's awesome, man. That's great. So you're you go into uh, active service then, and did you ever get deployed to Vietnam? No, um, you know I've part of much of what I say in my book, uh, Intrusions, uh, is that 
whether we know it or not, or whether we want to acknowledge it or not, God is very much lovingly intruding into all of our lives. Um, it's just amazing when I realize that the more and more I study and the more I uh, hear from other people. So God really was intruding in my life because I was young and stupid, and if I'd been sent to Vietnam, I would have probably OD'd on drugs or you know just had my head blown off. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm six five, blonde hair, so I know that I wouldn't have lasted. So instead. Uh, I went to Turkey to serve with NATO, and so I was there for the second year and a half of my three-year stint. While I was there, um, I ran into the uh, the associate director of the USO, the United Service Organization, mm-hmm. and uh, her name was Barbara. And uh, uh, so we uh, we met under some strange circumstances, and uh, dated, and then I got what's called an overseas discharge, an honorable discharge, but I got out in Turkey instead of being flown back to uh, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were married in an in a Anglican church in Izmir, Turkey, the day after my discharge on April 18th of wow. 1969. So Barbara, uh, I mean, she was the, the quintessential Barbie doll. She was tall, slim, blonde, and uh, perfect for the job. So uh, we stayed uh, in Europe for the next 15 years, uh, living and working and and traveling and, and what part? Uh, well, you, you mentioned where you were, but did you move around in Europe? We did. Um, after we were married, she had to finish her contract with the USO. And um, so she stayed at Turkey and I went back and my mother and stepdad uh, had uh, a small place in southeastern Alaska and they got me a job on a salmon seining boat. And so I, I flew from uh, Izmir to New York, hitchhiked across the states, uh, made my way up to Anacortes, Washington, and got on this this Yugoslavian-owned seining boat, <laughs> and we cruised up the inland passage up to Elfin Cove, where my mom and stepdad lived. All and the then, way to Alaska. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So we fished uh, for the summer, and then when it was done, uh, Barbara came over, her contract was finished, and then we... Uh, uh, made our way across the states, back to New York, and flew back to Germany. And uh, we skied in southern—I mean, it goes on and on, but uh, we, we skied in southern Germany, and she had a, a job as a uh, what's called a kindermatron, mm. and uh, took, taking care of kids in, right. in a hotel. And Child maid, yeah. Yeah. Ich spreche Deutschland. Oh, Ein Mieschen. Schön, so viel schön. That's good. And then I, I worked in a ski lodge, so I learned how to ski, and uh, wow. we, we partied way too much. Uh, Not uh, a believer in those days, uh, then. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Far, far from that. Um, so then we, that was Germany, and then we decided, uh, we all checked our, got together at the end of the season and checked our, our, our good time compasses, and, and uh, so we, I bought a car, an old Opel station wagon, and we drove from Germany um, across Europe to southern Spain, where we spent the next two and a half years. And um, doing what? <laughs> well, working, finding jobs. We, uh, we started a small uh, uh, leather and clothing boutique, uh, which we opened up. And uh, we took trips across the, the uh, uh, Gibraltar Straits and went to Morocco and bought uh, leather and beads and things like that and brought them back and, and sold them uh, and mm-hmm. made money. And it was a pretty good life. Yeah. Um, Importing company here then, so or exporting, <laughs> I guess, whichever way you look at it. But yeah. my goodness, so it it was uh, it was 
good. We traveled, uh, but quite frankly, I, I was uh, seeking. Uh, and the way the Lord arranged it, I believe, is that uh, I managed to come across uh, a few people in the bars at night, and we would talk. And they were, you know, the big Jesus people. The Jesus freak movement was going on. Yeah. And um, and there was what I what I called the hippie trail. And a lot of American uh, hippies, uh, searchers, would leave from New York and so on. They would go to uh, uh, Morocco, and they'd make their way through Morocco and come into Spain, go through Spain, and wind up, burn out and so on in, in uh, Amsterdam, Holland. Um, so quite a few of those stopped by, and we would talk, and they'd tell me about Jesus. And other ones would tell me about uh, Allah, and somebody else would tell me about uh, Buddha and so on. And, mm-hmm. But I was fascinated. Well, one night, um, I drank too much in this little village uh, at a party, and I was pulled over by the police. And um, I was not a very nice guy, and they threw me in jail, and I spent the week there in a, in a Spanish jail uh, where the only way you eat is when somebody who you know on the outside brings you food. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's where I was. And Pretty scary time, I'm sure. Oh, man. You talk about humbling and 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 a realization of, of just how far I had fallen and where I'd, I just, I was completely lost. And, mm-hmm. and I knew it. Finally, I knew it. And um, so Barbara brought food every day to the jail, you know, and she, we would talk and, and we talked a lot. And it probably had... The, the, the best heart-to-heart conversations that we'd ever had. Uh, I was in the cell, and we were separated by the bars, and she was out there on a stool. And uh, I have to say the, the Spanish police were very nice. Um, and I think they, they knew I wasn't a criminal. I just uh, messed my life up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. A week later, we got out and, and uh, we're back and I had a little shop and uh, working on leather goods and sandals and stuff that we sold in the boutique. And a friend of mine that I used to drink with named Charlie Moore came by. And I hadn't seen him in about a year. And Charlie, uh, and he, he had changed. Uh, there was something about that, that brother. And uh, he said, and I said, well, what have you been up to? You know, my, I'm, my hair is long and I've got the, the hippie thing going. And uh, he said, um, I asked him what he'd been up to. And he said, well, you know, I, uh, last weekend I went to a, a, an ice cream social at the church and I really felt close to God. And I, I looked at him and said, you got to be kidding. Yeah, I know. Really? Well, he stayed for a while and he ordered a pair of sandals and I took his size. I got down on my knees and, uh, and traced uh, his foot around the, the tire tread that I would cut out and use for the soles of his sandals. And then uh, as God would have it about a week and a half later, uh, before the shoes were even done, uh, we met at a square uh, in the small town and we sat in the square and uh, drank about uh, three or four beers and, and talked uh, about Jesus. And Charlie gave me his testimony. And um, I was ready. I was, I was ready uh, to hear it. And he said, you know, Ken, you and I, he said, there's a scripture that says, where Jesus said, uh, the, thief, the thief comes to steal and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Right. And that's Jesus's words. And then Charlie looked at me and said, you know, Ken, you and I have an abundant life. I know that. Uh, but it's not the kind of abundance that uh, Jesus is talking about. And he said, you can have life in Christ. And he went on to explain the peace that comes uh, through faith in Christ and everything. And 
And he said, well, think about it. And he told me the way that I could get saved. So about two weeks later, I went out on the beach and by myself, and I said, well, look, Jesus, if, if you're real uh, and if you really love me, like Charlie said, just come into my life, and, and I'm here. And uh, I tell you, Mike, I went to sleep that night, and the next day I woke up, and literally, uh, it, it felt like the burden was taken from my I, back, I get from it. my shoulders. Yeah. And you know, people have, all kinds of people have different ways they come to the Lord. Some are raised in Christian homes, and some, some uh, you know, have a, a near-death experience, and sometimes it's slow and sometimes it's quick. Mine was just overnight, you know, and that's just the way that God chose to come yeah. into my heart. Wow. And uh, that was a long time ago, and, and thank God he did. Marvelous story. Uh, amazing. I never tire of hearing how people come to know the Lord. Yeah. And the unique ways, you're right. It's different almost from person to person, but that is so wonderful that your friend and what an inspiring thing that is for us all to hear freshly, how a friend sitting down, simply talking to another friend about what they've learned. Yeah. You know, he's not a yeah. master theologian. He hasn't gone to seminary. He That's doesn't, right. have, but he's sharing with you what has happened to him exactly. and what he's learned. And uh, yes. freely you have received, freely give. And that's exactly what he did with you. That's, that's amazing. Right. My guest today is Ken. Do you like Ken or Kenneth? Ken. Okay. So I've all, I've only seen it as Kenneth. So that's good. It's Ken Overman. He is a um, uh, an author, among other things. I think you're really going to enjoy uh, some of the, the talk about his book called Intrusions. Uh, it's a new book. When God shows up in your life unexpectedly. Yeah, I think that's happened to us all, right? And uh, that's why this book is going to be so helpful to us. And I believe that you're going to enjoy getting to know Ken even more. So hang on. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike, and we are on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Are you looking for the right franchise to open your own business? Green Flag Franchise has the experience and knowledge to help match your business plan with your goals and values. Is your business ready to become a franchise? Green Flag Franchise will help you explore the potential and benefits of franchising your existing company. For a free consultation and coaching, visit GreenFlagFranchise.com. That's GreenFlagFranchise.com. With me today in the studio is Kenneth Overman, Ken Overman, and he is an author. He writes biographies. In fact, uh, on his card is the term, is this your official business name? Biography Masters, is that what you use? It is, it is. My, my, actually, my bread and butter uh, is writing biographies, uh, but I also write novels. And uh, uh, I'm, in fact, finishing up my third novel uh, as we speak. So, oh, my goodness. So it's actually both of them, Biography Masters and then KennethOvermanBooks.com. So, you know, I have a, a friend who, the only other friend that is a full-time author, he lives in the Daytona Beach area. Hmm. Dan Walsh is his name. He's been on my program a number of times. Hmm. Highly recommend his books, even to our listeners listening in. If you want a real fun 
what I consider to be uh, the kind of novel that you just can't put down. His his books are that way. But Very most good. authors that I know are not full-time as you are or as Dan is. Uh, that That's mm-hmm. really something to me. It goes to say really two things. Number one, you're really good at what you do. You, know, you wouldn't be doing it full-time. <laughs> and number two, you... You have to have a lot of, uh, I would say, forward-thinking, top-of-mind imagination to just keep coming up with ways to express yourself the way you do. I think that's true. Um, I heard uh, a statistic some time ago, in fact, about eight, nine years ago, that only about three, maybe four percent of all writers actually make enough money to earn a living. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, you know, there's writers all over the place. Uh, there's a lot of people writing and more and more since uh, Amazon came out. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate, uh, particularly since I, I didn't start writing uh, in earnest until about uh, 2010. Um, and it came to the, at, at the end of a time when I was in uh, uh, Afghanistan, uh, I spent a year over there with the U.S. Agency for International Development, made a ton of money. And uh, when I came back, uh, the industry that I was in for most of my adult life had literally melted down. Uh, and that came on the heels of the, of the 08, 09 Oh, recession. yeah, the big crash. Yeah. 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 And I was involved. I was all over the world all the time uh, selling luxury boats, uh, sailboats and trawlers and sport fishing boats and uh, cruisers for four different product lines made in America. And I was literally out of the country more than I was in the country for wow. many, many years. And, uh, and it, that was going to be my retirement. Now, some of those things are big ticket items. So uh, you sell one mm-hmm. of those things and you've got a nice little commissions check waiting this, for you. This is true. This yeah. is true. Yeah. Maybe uh, the, the, the side, we were mid range actually. And, uh, and the boats uh, went between the sailboats and the sport fishing boats, uh, maybe 900,000 to maybe 1.4 million. Oh, wow. uh, and I would go to any country where there was a body of water and, and, oh, uh, my goodness. and, uh, and money. And I would, uh, sell them boats and they'd send money. We'd make the boats and then they'd, they'd get it. So, I mean, I, I racked up about 108 countries in, in my travels, uh, doing something. business or tra- pleasure and so on. Yeah. So, but then, so that was the plan. Um, and then after 08, 09, the entire, about three quarters of the pleasure boat manufacturing industry in this country closed. I mean, it was devastating. And after a couple of years, it was apparent that it wasn't coming back anytime soon. So I began to look around into what to do. And I began writing more and more in that time. And I had part-time jobs here and there. And then, uh, they were hiring for, uh, field program officers to go to Afghanistan. So I just applied and, you know, my, I haven't, I have an MBA and that kind of helped with the business end Mm -hmm. of things. And, uh, so I applied and they hired me and they sent me over to Afghanistan and this little forward operating base, uh, two kilometers from the Pakistan border. And I would go out with, uh, we call them a green suits with our soldiers. And I had no weapons on me. We'd go out and we would help uh, villagers uh, with uh, advising them on infrastructure or, or health issues or education issues. And as we all know, looking back, it, it didn't go very far. But right. But it was it was well paid. And when I came back on leave a few times during that year, I would tell people what I did, and they would say, 
Well, thank you for your service. I'd say, no, no, no. Thank you for paying your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, that's right. I made a lot of money. Uh, oh, my it, goodness. Good pay. You know, back in that yeah. time, a lot of people, whether they were uh, civilians who really uh, had never had any military experience at all, mm -hmm. like you did, some of them went over as civilian contractors. And I know yeah. well, I've got a relative. My wife has a relative that did that. He was an air conditioning guy. Oh, and yeah. he went over, and and you're right. I mean, they'd go over on a contract basis. Yeah. Maybe for a year at a time until mm -hmm. the next contract, and they would make six figures easy, yeah. Yeah. maybe more, uh, just for doing that. Yeah, there was a lot of contractors over there, but I was actually a direct hire to the U.S. government, and they trained us for uh, three months uh, in Washington, D.C., in the area, and we went through simulated villages and bombs exploding and, you know, Armored mm -hmm. vehicles turning over. We did all that stuff. Yeah. So now you didn't. You, you didn't leave your wife back behind, right? I did. Oh, that's that was hard on you. I know. Yeah. It was it a was. lot. Of, a lot of people do that too, and that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So when I got back, um, I had enough money to uh, to to think about what I was going to do next, and that's when I picked up a book for the second time, and the book is called "What Color Is Your Parachute," and it's written by a Christian guy named Richard Bowles. And the book is, is the best of its kind. It's been out about 35, 40 years. It's renewed uh, every year, and wow. it's, it's the best. And Still in print. It's still in print. Yeah. What Colors Your Parachute? Never heard of it. Um, and I recommend if any of your listeners uh, is at a point in their career when they, when they want to make a change, when they're not happy with what they're doing, it's good to work through that book. It takes about two weeks, and they can uh, go through a series of, of analyses and uh, question and answers and and come up to the kind of a job that they would love doing uh, in it goes so far as to say the kind of clothes you want to wear the people you want to work with in the environment whether that's travel or not and so on mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm kind of off topic here but I, I've I've shared that book with many people in my my life and it really works I've done it twice the first time uh, it showed me that I needed to become an international sales representative for boat manufacturers. And that's exactly what I that's did. That's what you did. <laughs> that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about being fit for the uh, job. Yeah. You were, they, yeah. they did a good job of nailing that. Did, how, did you always know you were an entrepreneur, that you made things? I'm just fascinated by the fact that not only did you make your own boat, but you manufactured other boats as well, well as shoes for crying out loud. That's uh, when did you learn you could do that? Well, I didn't actually manufacture the boats. Uh, I was the international sales uh, manager slash director okay. for boat manufacturers. Okay, got it. So I was the guy that went over there and got people to buy the boats. Um, but no, I mean, uh, I, I think it's just a result of you know growing up in California. Uh, my old two brothers and I were uh, three kids raised pretty much by my mother by herself. The dad left when we were young and. And we kind of had to make uh, life on our own. So um, I digress here for a minute, but my mother was always a real positive woman. And she would always say, Ken, get out there and you can do anything you want in the world. Uh, it's a great world and, and just go for it kind of thing. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what we did. Yeah, it knocks the walls out when you've got uh, no, no binding you, no boundaries. You can go out and do whatever you want to do. And that's, that's right. You kind of believe right. it after a while. So the second time I picked up the book, What Color Is, My, is Your Parachute, uh, it pointed the direction to be a writer. 
And so I did that after I got back in Afghanistan. I spent two weeks on it, and, and I wasn't surprised because I'd written a couple of books by then. I just didn't know if I could do it full-time. Mm-hmm. And that leads up to what I said earlier about meeting Susan Brandenburg at that party and that she directed me to do biographies. Um, so that's how it all began. And Were you a bookworm as a student when you were younger? <laughs> Not at all. No. Wow. Did you read biographies at all? I, yeah, I did read biographies. And, mm-hmm. and when we lived in Greece, um, we you know, there was a lot of time throughout the winters that there wasn't much to do. And I would just sit down and, and read. So I read uh, several of the Russian novelists, you know, the big three-inch thick books and so mm-hmm. on, and, uh, uh, and several other people. I read about sailing adventures. Um, C.S. Forrester, for example, was one of my favorites. He wrote a series of 13 about uh, Horatio Hornblower, which became movies later on. Books like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't really love books so much, but I did it when there was nothing else to do. Wow. Now, how did you go about your first book? How did that happen? I mean, it's a big deal to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I feel that I'm going this direction. I'm going to write it. How do you start doing that? Well, it gets back to sales and marketing. Uh, I believed I could write. Uh, I had good feedback from them, what I had written to date. And uh, I, I developed a spreadsheet. I developed a website. And... Um, uh, listed the the benefits that would come to somebody who allowed me to write their book. And uh, I basically presented myself as a biographer. And uh, the first one of the first people I called was uh, a man named Buck Jacobs. And uh, Buck <laughs> is the founder and chairman emeritus of the C12 group. And uh, he is just uh, a fine, fine man and a strong, strong Christian. And Buck Kind of took me under his wing, and he and he said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm. I've got a few ideas here. Let's write my my biography." Did he know you before that? No. You made a cold call to Buck Jacobs, who, by the way, <laughs> spoke at the Christian Chamber. I think that was the day you were there, right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So you came down to hear Buck, and he was really cool, man. He was yeah. great. Yeah, he invited us to come down. So my wife and I showed up, <laughs> and and uh, we sat at the table, and and he's uh, such a great guy, and and so we. Uh, started off, I had a little uh, digital voice recorder and, and uh, sat down and I recorded his voice and um, asked him questions and we went on and on, had several sessions, and I just began to write his book. Uh, now, Buck, uh, since then, has, has recommended a few other people who uh, turned out to be clients and I've written their books as well. So uh, that's how it all began. I just said, I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a biography, uh, and I can, I can serve you. Wow. And he did it. And he is such a a gifted man. Talk about a guy with a devotional life to the Lord. I mean, he gets up every morning, seeks the Lord, prays early on. And that's part of what he teaches through C12 is to other men to do that. So I'm sure that your book that you wrote on Buck Jacobs would be very fun to read. The book is called I Radical. And there's been uh, many, many thousands of the book that's out there purchased on Amazon and also distributed through the worldwide C12 network. Now, you've mentioned Amazon a couple of times. And when I talked with Dan, my friend, he was telling me all about the, the changes mm-hmm. that came about, not only just to him, but to all writers. When Kindle came out, Amazon comes out, they just changed the whole traditional publishing world. That's true. And, and I came into this business, I think at a very good time. Uh, when I began, uh, Amazon was just getting up and getting going. 
And then they came out with uh, the Kindle, the electronic versions of the books. And then uh, the rage was to buy to buy a Kindle. It was uh, maybe a buck and a half, two bucks uh, for the yeah. entire book. And then you bought your Kindle reader, and then everybody was going with that. And the idea was, the trend was pointing towards um, uh, the the uh, cessation of, of print books as yeah. we know that. Yeah. Fortunately, that hasn't happened. About seven years later, there's been kind of a turnaround. And, and actually people, uh, young and old, actually like the feel of a book in their hands. Yeah. And to turn the pages and then fold the, the corner over and put it down and pick it up. Um, I mean, KDP is, is uh, the electronic version is very popular. But yeah, I mean, um, Amazon has opened the, flung the doors wide for anybody to write a book and to get it published. It's a very, very inexpensive, uh, easy process. Uh, what I do for my, uh, for the people that I write uh, for, and also for people that have written their own books, uh, I have I have a publishing arm of Biography Masters, and um, I will go ahead and help them get the book formatted. I have members of my team who are uh, graphic artists and formatters, and we, we prepare the book for submission to Amazon, and uh, it's all fairly cost effective. And and so, seeing the evolution of this from when I began until now, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful time for, for writers and for readers. You know, it's great to hear you say that because a lot of times when there's new ways to get something done, and this happened in music, hmm. and everyone can get their own studio in their own home and they can, they can basically produce their own work. That doesn't necessarily equate that what they're doing or what the general population is doing is good work. So you still have to have the art. You still have to have the, the gifting to make it really good. That's absolutely true, yes. Uh, I guess the downside is there's a lot of books out there through Amazon and through uh, Ingram, Spark, and the other uh, um, indie publishers mm -hmm. that, that are just uh, poor quality. Um, now, there are standards that those publishers like Amazon and Ingram uh, uh, adhere to, and that is they look through the book and they'll they'll do a quick scan, but but they're looking for um, for shady stuff, for, for things that are not good, and looking for formatting but not necessarily the quality of the writing. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, Mike, it comes down to sales and marketing. And every author, whether they're independently published or, or whether they're traditionally published, uh, they have to get out there and work their platform and get the word out and do the shows and, and make the sales happen. Now, marketing used to be done by the publishers. So if you got a publishing deal, if your book was going to be published by uh, some of the big names that are out there, uh, it, it was... It's going to be golden. It's going to be in Barnes and Noble. It's going to be all over the place. Yeah, that's true for about uh, maybe uh, one third of one percent of the writers out there yeah. that actually get published, and that's where you see the, the Grishams and the Steels and the Kings and so on and so forth uh, out there. They're the airport books. They're the ones that are you know front and center on the bookshelves. Yeah, or at Costco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're very, very, very seldom will will uh, a first time author or even an author of many, many books. Uh, will we'll actually reach that status. The nice thing is, though, and I didn't know this until later, that uh, there, there's a there's a large percentage of of writers who who put out books and who make pretty good money, and you don't hear about them, but they they can make uh, almost a, a good steady income. That's part of that three percent that I was telling mm -hmm. you about. Mm -hmm. My guest today is Ken Overman. He is from the Jacksonville area, Pontevedra. And is here to uh, talk about, we never got to 
this book yet. So it's holding in my hand. We're going to have to now shove this to segment three, but boy, can't wait to talk about it. The book that he has written that we're talking about in segment three is called Intrusions, When God Shows Up in Your Life Unexpectedly. I realize I looked down at the time and man, this whole segment just burned through. You're way too interesting, my friend. So this is all good <laughs> stuff. Uh, we'll be back with Ken in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike and you're on The Shepherd. Turning 65 or already on Medicare? Have you tried to compare Medicare supplement plans? Are you sick and tired of the awful TV commercials where washed-up football players confuse you even more? Speak with a licensed independent insurance agent today. Call 407-965-4166 now. Or visit Affordable One Insurance in Winter Park, Florida and discuss what is important for you. Be sure to ask us about dedicated senior medical centers. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. You're on Afternoons with Mike, and it is great to have Kenneth Overman. Uh, I now get to call him Ken because I've met him, and and uh, I, I believe that like, you're feeling the same thing I'm feeling. This is a guy who has a, an ability to tell a story, and that's important for an author to be able to do that. Uh, I'm holding your book, and on the back of the book, uh, you've got uh, one of the uh, two people that have endorsed the book. One uh, of them is Joby Martin, who I had a chance to meet a number of years ago up at J.D. Greer's church in North Carolina, I believe it was. And uh, Joby leads this church called the, the Church of 1122. And it's a big church in Jacksonville. I mean, it's massive. Yeah, it is. And it, yeah. so that's where you attend. It is. And uh, mm-hmm. so Joby, was he read your book and liked it, put it out there. Yes, yes, I was I was thrilled. Uh, I mean, I don't know Joby personally. I've met him briefly a couple of times, and in fact, when he came out with his book uh, recently, uh, titled uh, "If the Tomb Is Empty, Anything Is Possible," and uh, and so aside from that, uh, we don't have a, a close relationship. I mean, Joby started his church ten years ago with a couple hundred people, and uh, it was actually a planted church from another mm-hmm. church in Jacksonville Beach, and then it has grown to give or take a few. It's a moving target, about 17,000 people yeah, uh, attending uh, six different campuses and then who knows how many more online. So he's, you know, I like to kind of quote him in this. He said, you know, it's not that we're so special. It's just this is our time and God is using us uh, to for this movement in this place. And uh, yeah, and I, I uh, he's a very brilliant man. I love his teaching. So when he actually... Uh, went through, read my book and uh, wrote this beautiful endorsement on the back. I was highly blessed. I bet. Now you know he reminds me. You mentioned earlier in segment one the Jesus movement th- that happened, and it was so influential. Joby is kind of like uh, to me uh, an example of what the pastors who were behind that movement. Joby reminds me of that. He's charismatic. He's mm. he is just a guy that people follow, and they love him. I mean, my first meeting with him. Uh, you know, his, his stories, 
they just captured all of us. And so I, I had a chance to meet him afterwards. And yeah. He's just yeah. awesome. Yeah, he is. He is. And, and uh, I guess <laughs> I also like to say that if you, if you met Joby in a dark alley, you wouldn't want to You'd want to run the other way. <laughs> he's, he's a big, big guy. guy. He's got yeah. tattoos. He's bald headed, you know, with a gray beard. And he, and looks, he looks like, like he benches, you know, 560 pounds every day, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, yeah. yeah, he's, he's a strong guy. Well, that's really fun. Intrusions, when God shows up in your life unexpectedly, and just in our talk today, we've already heard how many times he's done that with you. So you're yeah. writing really yeah. something about your, your experiences with God things that you've learned about God that can help other people in their walk with God. Yeah, the purpose of the book is, is, to, is to help readers uh, understand that uh, no matter where they are, what they're doing, they're, God is lovingly intruding uh, in their affairs, in their lives, uh, to the detail that, that just people wouldn't believe. And when I began to, to think about this book, uh, after Buck Jacobs uh, suggested that I do that, um, I went back and, and began to uh, write all the times that that happened. And in fact, the first time the book starts out uh, when I'm on a 36 foot boat and we're sailing from Hawaii on the way to California. And I was one of six people on this boat. And um, I was 18 at the time. I just graduated from high school. And one day, uh, I mean, when you're out there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean sailing along day after day after day, mile after mile, you see this broad expanse and you just can't help but think about life and, uh, yeah, and sure. where all this came from. So one day I, I, my buddy was standing on top of the coach roof. Uh, it was a, a windless day. And, uh, and I said, Hey, keep, keep a shark watch. You know, he would look around for fins and stuff. And I just wanted to dive in the boat. Now the rule was that we had to have a rope tied around our, our waist or around our chest so that we wouldn't get too far away. Yeah, because a, a sailboat's not as easy as a motorboat to turn around and get back to you. Well, that's true. Uh, but fortunately, there was no wind blowing that day. Yeah, right. So the sails were down, and they were just bobbing in there like a cork. So I jumped in and untied the rope, and I just swam out as far as I could until I looked back and I saw that boat, and it was just like that cork, you know, bobbing around. And I, I spiked a dive, and I dove down as I took a deep breath and went as far down as I could. And when I got down there, um, I, I could look up and I could see the, the water above and the sunlight and the shafts of light coming down and they would just disappear into nothing. And then below me was blackness. Yeah. And I had this, this horrible sensation of, uh, of emptiness of, of what if I lost my life right here? Where, where am I going? And literally that went through my, my mind. So I went to the surface and swam back as fast as I could to the boat. And my friend Bob uh, wanted to know what was going on because apparently I had this funny look on my face. For the rest of that trip, when I was at the at the helm steering, I, I just thought and thought about my life. And to me, that was the first time that God really intruded in my life to make me think. To, to You know, the, the Bible says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time, I think, that I really sensed eternity. But it was not a good thing to see because my eternity was, in fact, down at the bottom of that ocean. And, uh, and that was how I began to first wonder about God and so on. But that's a great way to, you've used what was a scary thing, uh, an eye-opening thing. I mean, you're right. When, if you're there and I've, I've dove 
I've been on a <laughs> diving trip that was only took me down 30 feet. Uh-huh. I was down 30 feet and I, I looked up like what you said. Yeah. And when you're, I had, I was talking to somebody the other night who said that when they were down, they just got back from Hawaii and they had been in an area where below them was 900 feet of yeah. water uh-huh. yeah. and realizing that what it goes on down there is a whole other life from what, and it, that, that does make you feel so number one, it makes you feel small yep. and yep. very insignificant. And then number two, like what you said, if something came, a big old fish yeah. came and swallowed you right up, you know, you're, you're never going to be seen again. I felt very mortal. Yeah, <laughs> my word. Yeah. That's a scary thing. But God uses those moments, and He used that in your to get you start thinking about this limitless, endless time that is known as eternity. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I, I I move through the book uh, up to the the present day, and I I give examples of other times when when God has has intruded in my life uh, in in really great ways, and other times with serious lessons, you know, all part of the trajectory of sanctification that we, that every believer is on from mm-hmm. the moment we accept Christ in our hearts until we go to be with him. And, uh, it's kind of a training field. And so I talk about things that happened in, in, uh, in Europe later on and, uh, how God miraculously led my, my uh, late wife and, uh, our daughter, uh, our seven-year-old daughter at the time from Greece where we lived and started a church back to Annapolis, Maryland, and, uh, and I went ahead of them. Uh, and I found within a, the space of, of two weeks, uh, uh, I found a job, I found a house, and, and got a car and mm. things like that. And it was just these, these things. I, I, just, I totally relied on God for his direction, for his provision. I had some money. But things like that just, just don't happen. Uh, or if they do, then, then we, I think we need to really realize that Something else is going on and guiding our lives, and mm-hmm. it was God every time. I love so it. So many examples like that. You know, Ken, when you think about your your own life and and the way that God has called you and the way He uses you, and then you He gave you this desire to talk to other people about the same thing mm-hmm. about what's going on in their lives. You know, what do you think of when you, when you get up in the morning? Now, are you do you find yourself thinking about how God is going to use you? or how God's going to use you in the lives of other, their stories in your life? Yes to all the above. <laughs> all the above, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny, I wake up uh, sometimes at night, and I find myself writing, uh, mentally writing, um, you know, what I would say and how I would uh, uh, describe a situation in, in a book, uh, and about the next question that I would ask one of my clients, and and about their journey. Now, some of my books are are not uh, Christian oriented, um, but in fact, uh, I look at every opportunity, particularly if they're not Christians, to to use the time with them, to uh, to listen to their hearts, uh, and and to find a way that I can inject a witness into their life. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you know, Mike, I, I sit with with my clients for hours and hours and hours, uh, and, and I ask them questions and they talk. And um, another thing too, it's interesting. Uh, I've had quite a few uh, very uh, influential businessmen um, uh, who started their own business, entrepreneurs who grew it and then retired or sold the company. And uh, every one of these these men, they're all men so far. Um, 
come to a point when they when they cry, uh, and it's it's because they've never really had anyone sit down for a length of time and hear their entire story uh, in the details, mm-hmm. and and they they wind up uh, getting to to areas where it may or may not wind up in the book. Uh, it, like you, I might turn off the recording once in a while and just let them talk. So it's it's a it's a wonderful opportunity. And and here again, if God opens that door and I have a chance to say something, that's when I will go ahead and start talking a little bit about my life. Well, I think your life is fantastic. It's very interesting itself. But then you are doubled down in the fact that you're also now, uh, you're being called on by other people to help them Mm. share their story. So you're kind of almost uh, in, in both of those stories your gifting is there and you're, the faithfulness of God as it's shown to you. It's really clear to see that he, his hand's been with you yeah. and uh, yeah. you still get to travel some. You still are. I know you have a heart, don't you, for uh, travel. That's really cool that you get to do that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, uh, my wife, Karen, and I um, love travel uh, and uh, we just got back from from Tuscany Uh what, three weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And um, in fact, the plans are there to to do a lot of writing in Tuscany on, on, a, on a long-term basis. It's just a great place. It's very inspiring. And I can I can work with clients from there as well as from right here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we really enjoy getting out and traveling. That's it's, really uh, great that you can do that. And you're right. You can take the portable office called yep. a laptop computer with you wherever you go. And that's right. You know, the ironic, we were talking about Kindles and things like that. I, I don't own a Kindle, but I have it on my iPad. I have mm-hmm. a, the app. Uh, but I, I of, of all of my love, with all of my love for books, real books, like I'm holding this one, I, I find myself reading the Bible more now from my phone uh, because of you version. I don't know if, if anyone else out there likes that app as much as I do, but I really like it. And I'm able to track what I'm reading and it, it remembers what I'm reading and uh, isn't that funny? I'm I'm a I'm a real book in the hand kind of guy, but I lately I have been reading the Bible from my phone. Well, it's interesting, Mike, because every morning uh, my wife and I get out onto our little terrace and we we go and read U version. Uh, right now we're going through a series uh, by Charles Stanley. Other times we go through by Buck Jacobs, and then we'll have a prayer time. So U version is a wonderful app. It yeah. is a great app. All sorts of reading programs for those that like to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, I just like the way it tracks you and brings along encouragement to you. And then when I'm studying, I flip over to the uh, ESV app and I have the study Bible on that. And so I'm able to use both of them when I'm doing that. And I, it's I, that part of it is I, I, it's different than what I used to do as it's a fantastic. pastor. But I like it. I can't tell you how much fun this has been. And we have to have you back up. So when you're back in Orlando, you'll have to um, swing by. We'll we'll do another show together. Well, Mike, it's been a real pleasure and a real blessing to be here. So thank you so much for having me on. You've got to give us your contact information. Um, okay, I'm at uh, at Ken Overman one at gmail.com. So it's K E N O V as in victory E R M A N um, number one at gmail.com. And then my my I have two websites. So one is the Biography Masters which is biographymasters.com. And then I have, uh, where I have my novels and, and other publications is on kennethovermanbooks.com. It's one word, Kenneth Overman Books. So oh, thank great. you. Thank you for coming by. We'll see you next time right here 
on Afternoons with Mike. <laughs>